You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. So let me start my message this morning. You've probably never heard of Peter Miller or Michael Whitman. But during the American Revolutionary War, which is hard for me, a British person, to say, but during that American Revolutionary War, they were two significant figures, and here's why. Peter Miller was a German. He emigrated to a little town called Ephrata in Pennsylvania. And he was a really smart guy, but he was a pastor. He was so smart that Thomas Jefferson asked him to translate the Declaration of Independence into seven languages. But he was a pastor in this small town, and he changed churches at one point. Now, one of the men who was in his original church was a man called Michael Whitman. And Michael Whitman was so angry that Pastor Peter changed churches that he then began to verbally abuse him. He was known to spit at him if he saw him, and he physically assaulted him on one occasion. Now, Michael Whitman was not for the revolution, and so he had two men in his home one night, and he was speaking for the British. What he didn't realize, they were American spies. So this was fed back to George Washington. And Michael Whitman was taken before George Washington, charged with treason, found guilty, and was to be hanged. When Peter Miller found out, he walked the 60 miles to meet with George Washington because he knew him. And he pleaded for Michael Whitman's life. And George Washington said, I cannot release your friend. He's been tried and found guilty of treason. And Peter Miller said, my friend? I have no man who hates me more than Michael Whitman. And when George Washington heard this, he said, well, that changes everything. If you're willing to walk 60 miles for your enemy, I'll release him. And so he wrote the release for Michael Whitman, and Peter Miller took the release, walked another 15 miles to where Michael Whitman was about to be hung. And as he approached him, Michael Whitman saw him coming and was still so hateful, said, look, here's Peter Miller, come to revel in my death. And Peter Miller held up the letter of release. And they walked back together, 75 miles as friends. Peter Miller walked 75 miles for his enemy. How far are you willing to walk for yours? Well, I don't have an enemy. That's what we say, isn't it? I don't really have enemies. Well, let's read Matthew 5, and let's see Jesus' words that speak to this very thing. Let's look at Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. If you don't have a Bible, I'll read it for you. Okay? And it's a story that some of us know very well. It says the following. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your children or your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. You know, we read this passage, and we all know it's the thing Christians are supposed to do, isn't it? We're supposed to forgive our enemies. It's like, yeah, that's what we do. 
We forgive our enemies. We're Christians. But then sometimes when the rubber meets the road, we're like, yeah, but do you really know what they've done to me? Do you really know the pain they've inflicted? And I am not belittling that pain. Please hear me. Some of us have been horrendously wounded by others. And forgiveness is a long journey. But you see, sometimes I think for a lot of us, like, I don't really have an enemy. I don't really have enemies. And do you know what we're saying when we say that kind of statement? This scripture doesn't apply to me. Can we really say that? Can we say that we don't get to apply this scripture to our lives? So let me do some tests for you to show you that you have enemies. Now, some of you may straight away, it might be right there. It could be a family member. It could be a work colleague. It could be a former friend. But in the world of today where many of us have the dreaded Facebook and the social media, all it takes is three seconds scrolling down And for many of us, our blood pressure is already high, and we're angry at that post. Yes? There's your enemy. Right there. Oh, I don't have an enemy. I'll give you five minutes to scroll through Facebook. Till you read that one post, you're like, who do they think they are? They have no idea. Where do they get off making that kind of statement? You see, here's the first thing we need to realize. This scripture is for all of us. We don't get to say, well, I really don't have an enemy, so I'm okay. I honestly, I think if we're being honest to ourselves, we can look around many of us, our family, our place of work, our neighborhood, and social media, and quickly realize there are people that we, to a degree, would call enemy. So we don't get to say this scripture's not for us. We have to accept that this scripture can apply to you and me today. Amen? Those wounds by words, those wounds by actions, those wounds by aggression, those wounds by withdrawal, and you don't understand why, our enemy. But let's look this morning at this beautiful story where Jesus addresses this very issue of enemy. And what he says to us this morning, how we can live differently. We don't have to live as the world. We don't have to live as how we think we will have to survive. We can actually look to Jesus and live a different way. Doesn't that sound good? Amen. So let's look at this passage we read, Matthew 5, 43 through 48. Let's start with the first couple of verses. What does he say? He said, You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So what's Jesus doing there? Well, this is what we call the Beatitudes, remember? And it's the Sermon on the Mount. And within that, he says, a lot of the time, you've heard it said, but I say. Have you noticed that? In Matthew 5 through 7, he repeats that a lot. You've heard it said, but I'm going to say this. So when Jesus says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, okay? What Jesus is doing is, this is how you've lived. He's reminding them, this is how you've chosen to live for a long time. When it says, you've heard it said, in other words, this is how you choose to live. And he actually quotes Leviticus. He quotes the Torah. He quotes Leviticus 19, 18, which says, you love your neighbor. That's a good practice. That's a good scripture. So the first thing Jesus says is, you've heard it said, love your neighbor. 
And everyone there would be like, "Mm -hmm, that's right. That's what we do. We love our neighbor. So the first thing Jesus says is, this is your worldview. This is how you've lived. You've loved your neighbor. But then he says this thing. He says, but hate your enemy. Now, here's the deal. That's not in Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19 doesn't say that. It just says, love your neighbor. But you see, for the Jewish people, they had lived so long with that, they had added in, but hate your enemy. It had become the norm. We love our neighbor and we hate our enemy. This was how they chose to live. They were clearly marking on the, a line on the sand. You're my neighbor and you're my enemy. Does that make sense? This was how they were living. It was the saying or phrase of the day. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. So, so far they're like, that's right, Jesus. That's how we're meant to be. You're inside my community and you're outside. You're my friend, you're my neighbor, and you're not. But then Jesus does the Jesus thing. He says, but I say, love your enemy. Whoa, 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 Jesus. Have you heard of the phrase oxymoron? That's an oxymoron. I'm supposed to love my enemy? That doesn't make sense. But you see, what we see in the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus is turning everything upside down. Actually, what he's doing, he's turning it back to the way it was meant to be to begin. This is how the Father meant it to be. But you see, in our fallenness, in our religion, we turn it and we turn it the wrong way around. So Jesus was saying, you guys, you took Leviticus 19.18 that was right, love your neighbor, but then you added on this extra thing, hate your enemy. But I'm telling you, I'm going to flip it because the heart of the Father is this, love your enemy. So the first thing Jesus tells them is, this has been the way you've lived, but you need to get back to the heart of the Father. You need to love, live this way and love your enemy. Now I want to tell you a little bit of a story about someone today that, or today that, sorry, many of us know, Corey Ten Boom. And if you're unfamiliar with Corey Ten Boom's story during World War II, when her country of Holland was occupied by the Nazis, uh, her family as Christians just believed with all of their heart that they would try and rescue as many Jews as they could and get them out. And eventually, though, someone told on them and many of her family were arrested and taken to the concentration camps. She lost her dad. She lost her sister, Betsy. And the deal with Corrie was she actually got released by mistake. Did you know that? It was a clerical error. She was not meant to be released. She got released, and within two weeks, every other woman that was in her group was then executed. So she was, she was released by the favor and goodness of the Lord. But she saw everything you can imagine in these concentration camps. She saw the worst of the worst. Now, I'm going to tell you a little bit of her story this morning in three parts. This is years later, and this is what she says. I was at a church service in Munich that I saw him, a former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there, the room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, my sister Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me, as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein. 
His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to the people in Bloomendale the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. In my first story, Peter Miller walked 75 miles for his enemy. Corrie Ten Boom had about three feet. But in her mind, it was thousands of miles she had to walk for this man, her enemy. We'll come back to our story in a moment. So the first thing Jesus says is, he turns the world upside down. He says, hey, you've lived this way, but here's the heart of the Father. Love your enemy. So what's Jesus doing in this moment? Well, let's look at verse 45. He says this, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. What? What is he saying? You know, it's so easy for us and so, and so often we can say, well, love your enemy. And that can be a really secular idea, can't it? Anyone can love their enemy. But you see, the problem is when it becomes real for us, when it's a real hurt or a real wound, we will justify why we shouldn't have to forgive that person. Yeah, but do you know what they did to me? Do you know the hurt they caused my family? And I'm not belittling those hearts, but we can morally justify why we shouldn't forgive. So what's Jesus doing this moment when he says, when you love your enemies, you will be like your father in heaven. It's all based on the word love. And how, what word does he use for love in this scripture? Agape. Now, for those of us who know those three words in Greek for love, philio is the friendship love. Eros is more of what we'd call the love with, between a, a man and a woman in marriage. But then we have this other love, which is called the agape love. Now, the agape love had no comparison in Greek culture because it was considered the least of virtues to love this way. It was the lowest of loves because it was a love that was based on no feeling, no reciprocation. It was not as Barney would sing, I love you, you love me, we're a happy family. I mean, I heard that song too often with my kids. You're right? It's like, I'm sorry, Barney, wrong love. You see, agape love is, I'm going to love you in spite of who you are. I'm going to love you in spite of what you've done. I'm going to love you when you do not love me back. I'm going to love you when there is no warm, fuzzy feeling between us. I'm going to love you when you continue to hurt. That's this agape love. It is a love of no emotion. It is the love of choice. And you see, in the Greek world, that had no virtue. Why on earth would you do that? In our culture today, it's the same idea. But here, Jesus is using this word intentionally. Agape, your enemy. Yeah, but they haven't said sorry. Agape, your enemy, but they haven't sought me for forgiveness. Agape, your enemy, but they're still being mean. This is what Jesus is calling them to. So when they lived with the love of Leviticus, love your neighbor, they're like, that's great, I can do that. Because we're friends. Because we're good to one another. Because there's mutual benefit in this relationship. But I'll hate my enemy. And here's Jesus turning upside down going, the heart of the Father is this, agape, your enemy. And they're like, whoa, no, Jesus. No, no, no. 
Let's go back to Corey Ten Boom's story. What does it say? This man is standing in front of her and she says, Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing. Not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I prayed, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. Because you see, here we come to the heart of this scripture. This agape love is too hard for us. But Jesus in his beauty and kindness, he keeps going, he says, look, look at verses 46 through 47, he says, look, even the tax collectors, tax collectors can love. Even the Gentiles can love. So what's he saying? Well, okay, have any of you guys watched The Chosen? Have you not watched? Please go watch The Chosen. It is the best series about the life of Jesus ever. Me and my wife, we cry at every episode. It's phenomenal. But in The Chosen, Matthew is called the tax collector. And when you see the story of how Matthew would have been, his fellow Jews hated him. He was taking money from his own people to give to the occupiers and the oppressors. You see, tax collectors were the lowest of the low. They were your fellow citizen, but they worked against you. And the Gentiles, well, they were pagans. They weren't even worthy of Jesus or religion. And so here's Jesus saying, the people you hate the most, the tax collectors can love one another. The pagans who are outside of your love can love one another, and you can love one another. So what does that actually do? What does that show? He says, it shows nothing. The sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. You're not living differently at all. You've marked the line in your sand. Here's my friend and here's my enemy. So Jesus is building them to this point of how do we live this way then? Now we've got to pause for a minute and look at when these words in Matthew were recorded. When Matthew's gospel was written, it was right when the Christians were being their first persecution. When the likes of Nero was putting them to the lines, was burning them alive. Josephus even wrote of the Christians and went, the Christians are weird. They love people who hate them. You see, when the words of Jesus were recorded by Matthew, it was when they needed the opposite. (laughs) But here they're being reminded, love those who hate you. You see, when we can love those who people would consider our enemy and we would consider our enemy, can we see it as one of the greatest signs of hope to our world that we're different? when we can love the outsider, when we can love the unlovely, when we can love our enemy in a world that does not value that, it speaks loudly to our world that we are different. Amen? Let's finish Corey's story. What does she say? As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for the stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command 
the love itself. Now, you may be in here this morning, and you're like, Rob, you don't know what my enemies are like. And you're right, I don't. And as I said, for some of us, it's terrible and horrendous. And for some of us, it's just an inconvenience. We're all on that spectrum somewhere. But here's the deal. We've got to ask ourselves, how can I love this way? How can I live this agape love? Well, let remind us all of this. There once was a man who was crucified. And as this, this man went to his death, he had to walk with a cross on his back, alone, rejected, despised. None of his friends around him, though they'd walked with him for years. And he was mocked. And he died alone in a cross for you and for me. Jesus walked to his death and his resurrection when you and I were still enemies. What greater love is there than that? While we despised him and while we rejected him and while we mocked him, he went to the cross. He walked for us on our behalf. He knows what it is like to have enemies more than you and I. He knows what it is like to be despised and rejected and mocked and to have that sense of loneliness. But for what was before him, he went so that we do not need to live that way. Because when we are his, he gives us agape love. It's not easy, but it's there. And then we can live like him. So he knows what it's like, and he gives us the means. Jesus never asks something of us that we cannot do. He'll always make a way. So today, let's draw this message to a close. What do you do with this message? Well, we follow what Scripture says. Jesus says the first thing you do is pray for your enemy. Pray for them. If that's all you can do to begin, then that is what you do. Pray for your enemy. Now, for me, I know that when I begin to pray for my enemies, they may not change, but I will. I will change. And I get to a place where they may still be them. (laughs) But something's changed in me. You see, what happens is when you pray for your enemies, you release yourself from the prison that you've put yourself in by unforgiveness. And the Lord releases you and you can walk on. So the first thing is to pray. The second thing I'd encourage some of you is Christianity is not a solo pursuit. We're meant to live together. It's not a solo pursuit. We're meant to live in community and family. So here's the second thing I'd say to you. Find people you trust in this community And if you have real problems because of an enemy, then you find someone who's wise and mature and say, will you walk with me? Will you pray with me? And live out the Christian faith together. And I'd say finally for some of us in here, we need to get some real help and that's okay. Speak with someone who's trained to walk alongside you, a Christian counselor. 
You see, we're all going to be in the spectrum somewhere with our enemies. But the Lord can provide what we need at every step of the way. So begin by praying, then by sharing. And watch what the Lord will do in you. I promise you, you'll see change. Let me end by reading you this. Now, this is the same passage, but it's from the message. The message is not a translation. It's an interpretation. But I love this. Listen to how Eugene Peterson puts this passage we just read. You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend. And its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For when you're working out of your true selves, your God-created selves, this is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish, to everyone, regardless the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. Now, here's here's the crunch. In a word, what I'm saying is, grow up. Your kingdom subjects, now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. Let's pray. Jesus, we acknowledge this morning that these words, Lord, they're hard words. But the first thing we do is we confess and say that none of us can say they don't apply to us. So, Father, in your goodness, would you forgive us when we try to not subject ourselves to your words? And Father, this morning we pray in Jesus' name that we would come to you in prayer to release our enemies, that we would invite you into our hearts to do your healing and redemptive work within us that only you can do. And Father, would you pour out that agape love upon us that we would love others the way you love us? God, we acknowledge, we open our hands and say we don't have it in ourselves. So we ask you for that love this morning and that this world that is dying would see you, would be transformed and we would be hope and light and truth to this dying world. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.